Blog Talk Radio. here outside Knoxville, Tennessee, Terry T.B. Brown up in the Ville. What is going on with you this evening, T.B.? It's finally spring. Uh, it, is, it, is, it is great weather. It is, uh, it's a good time of the year. We got a lot to, a lot to dive into tonight. We sure do. And if y'all want to dive into it with us, as always, the number is 845 Nine three seven three uh, on Twitter and Facebook at Cat Talk W E D Cat Talk Wednesday. Uh, hit us up on any of those uh, avenues, and uh, we'll we got polls up, we got Twitter polls up, we got Facebook polls, Facebook polls up. Uh, I'm up here on Facebook Live, so uh, anybody tuning in there, I'm gonna put the link to the show so you can hear everybody, not just me. You can hear. TV as well as our guests that are coming up this evening. Speaking of our guests, uh, 6.30, our first guest will be coming up. Been on the show with us before. Uh, we got the spring game coming up Friday, so what better time than to talk to a former U.K. football player. Van Howes, former U.K. DB from 93 to 96, is going to be on with us talking about the upcoming football season, the spring game. We'll get his thoughts on that and several other topics. It's going to be a lot of fun. 7.15, a little bit into the second hour, Edward Perez, a big blue fan out in Cali, out on the West Coast, is going to call in. Uh, he's an Angels fan, you know, the L.A. Angels out there. Uh, Mike Trout's been out there for a while. Shohei Otani, the latest sensation, came over from Japan with a lot of hype. Uh, it's created a lot of buzz out there. So Edward's going to talk to us about that. And we can't have him on without also getting his thoughts on BBN. Terry, you've actually met him. He's excited to be coming on. We're excited to have him on. So it's going to be a lot of fun stuff to get into, just like you mentioned. Yeah, uh, looking forward to both of our guests. But, uh, yeah, Edward and I, uh, I'm trying to remember how it worked out. But, yeah, he did stop by, and I was able to visit with him face-to-face. I'm hoping able to, to meet up with him because I think he comes in for like one football game a year, but, but we'll try to, we'll try to talk to him about that. So it should be, it should be a fun. Uh, the big thing is he's a, he's a hat guy like myself. So <laughs> a lot of our discussions are uh, as new era, you know, does the official MLB caps. Uh, we, we have a lot of discussions about that. So I'm sure that will come up <laughs> during our conversation today. Absolutely. So I'm, I'm definitely looking forward to, to all of that and, and how you got to California and, and the ties to Kentucky 
And it's just, it was cool when you said you already met him. I was like, man, that's that's awesome. You messaged me that you had already met Edward. So it's going to be a lot of fun. We we'll, don't talk a lot of golf with TV. We'll have to flash back and, and just touch on the Masters a little bit with Patrick Reed winning. Uh, Tony Fee now starting it off with an interesting twist. You got a great article up on CameronMillsRadio.com, too, about championship or bust. You know we're going to talk about that. Uh, so lots of fun, interesting stuff uh, to get to. And we got Cat on Cat Crime coming up in Minneapolis. We got to talk about that. That's the subject of our polls on Facebook and Twitter. Jamal Murray and Denver head to Minneapolis to play Carl Towns and the Timberwolves. One of them at the end of the evening will be going to the playoffs for their first time. So we got our poll up on Twitter, who you picking, Nuggets or Timberwolves. It's also up on the Facebook page, Cats Talk Wednesday, so you know we're going to have thoughts on that as well. You got soapbox things you want to get to before our guests. You got championship or bust that you want to get off your chest, wherever you want to take it before Van comes on. Well, I think what what the buzz is, and I'm just kind of reading through Twitter and social media and everything like that, is, is, is John Calipari going after another guy, another five-star for next year's team? Is that what I, I – that's – let me just say this. I love Swaggy Cal, and Swaggy Cal's back. And – as you know, as all the Big Blue Nation knows, this week he's just getting five-star recruits like, I mean, like they're candy at Easter. Like he's finding like, it, like it's an Easter egg hunt. <laughs> he has been a man on a mission with E.J. Montgomery. Uh, I think that was Monday and then Tuesday. Was that was that Hagen's on Tuesday? And now Ashton Hagen's we, Tuesday. We got yeah. Ashton Hagen's on Tuesday. And then today, I'm, I'm noticing there's a uh, who is this Tyrese Maxi. You know, we're not big recruiting guys, so some of these names don't pop to me. But another five star, come, I mean, come on, come. On. I mean, and it's so funny because it's soon. And, and Cal talked about this on his post game or uh, his, his call in show the week leading into. Can you hear me? Uh, I, I still got you. Still got you, yo. Okay, I, I, I dropped my phone. That's because I'm clumsy. But uh, <laughs> on his show, he started talking about uh, there's a little bit of his swagginess coming out. And, you know, it would have gone a whole lot better had we made it to the Final Four. But he talked about sports writers, you know, these national writers that are, are they writing? Where are they writing from? Is it what they hope or is it kind of what they see? And it was a shot, I believe. We all know about Pat Forty back in you know, 2014. Uh, you know, Cal made his bed. Now he's got a lie in it, right? We we remember that. And yeah. he had to eat crow. He had to eat crow. So now, here the last couple of years, what we see in a lot of pieces, Cal losing his recruiting touch. Now, keep in mind, he's still top five, right? I mean, right. it's not like we've fallen off in the top ten, but still top two or three every year. I think mostly top two, but to Duke. And, and, and now we're getting these think pieces on uh, his Coach K as he beaten Cal at his own game. And, and Jeff Goodman, 
who the Big Blue Nation loves to hate, wrote a piece about that. And he, you know, here we are since since he's written that piece. I've got you know potentially three five stars for next season. I don't know if we've ever seen this type of action. I mean, you really have to go back to Cal's first year. Remember, he got hired on April the 1st. And if you remember, that, that recruiting class, that's back when we were recruiting eighth graders and, and you know, guys at the Y. You know, that's pretty much where we were recruiting from. But Cal hit the ground, yeah. and within, you know, a month or two, oh, here's Boogie, here's Wall, you know, here, you know here's Eric Bledsoe. You know, I think Daniel Orton, I think, was, was like the one guy that was signed. But how right. he's able to make these moves in such a short period of time, he's just letting folks know the king is back. And I, I, I know that we want to say that, you know, Villanova, you know, they've won two titles in three years. and uh, Coach K and Duke, they've won two titles since Cal's been here. What we are going to see, is a highly motivated Calipari next year with returning talent. And uh, I want to point out that I think it was Kyle Tucker that said when Cal returns, I think it's 30 or 40%. I forget the exact number, but there's a certain percentage. If he gets that back, that's when we get dominant teams. That's when we get the 2010 team. That's when we get 2012. That's when we get uh, 2015. That's when we get the dominant team. And so what I am seeing next year, next year's team is going to be really, really good. I know uh, P.J. Washington put his name in the draft. We're not sure what Gabriel is going to do. But you got Nick Richards coming back, which is a good thing. you got Quad A that's still hanging out. Barker, who we, we're not sure what he can do just yet, but we're told he can shoot. So you got him coming back. And then you got all these other guys coming in. That's a pretty good mix of talent across different classes, you know, kind of helping people, you know, like if Gabriel were to come back, you're saying, oh, we got some, we got some veteran leadership. I like that team. I like Swaggy Cal. And nothing would, I think, would really make the Big Blue Nation feel better than to beat Duke to start off next year. November 6th. And then you know, go through the SEC as we have done before with, you know, two, maybe three losses, return, you know, back to the, the team that nobody wants to play uh, and get to another Final Four. I mean, I can see that. They are going to be loaded. They're going to have the shooting. They're going to have the athletic play. Uh, I, I like that team. Even with a few question marks on the rest of the roster – I really like that team. Uh, Cal's back at it again. And, and as so you, you and I have said, I'm sorry, go ahead. I was just going to, you know, to, to second your thought, you know, we're not huge recruiting guys, but it's got us to where, you know, we didn't even talk about Zion Williamson. He ended up going to do a lot of hype for the people that follow that. But we don't talk a whole lot of recruiting, but here we are leading off the show with it and spitting out names like we are all up in it. You know, you mentioned E.J. Montgomery, Ashton Hagen. 
already had commitments from Keldon Johnson, uh, a wing player, athletic wing, Emmanuel Quickly, who can play the one or the two, uh, and with the loaded backcourt, but you just get a commitment from Higgins, who is a point guard, might mean a lot more quickly at the two. Tyler Hero, who uh, who did look good in the Jordan brand game, saw a few uh, highlights. I think Scott Charlton, who is world famous on Twitter for all his uh, videos and kind of tight with you, uh, put some videos and highlights of him up at the Jordan brand classic. In addition to what you already said, you know, quite a probably PJ and Jared and Winion and and all those guys coming back. So, you know, those five names right there, and like you said, you saw his tweet finished yet? Possibly still something else in the works in the oven. So it's going to be fun to see how it all develops. It's, it's the roster transition time of year. So with those additions, we got to mention uh, the subtractions, some that we knew, some that we didn't know. Uh, Kevin Knox announced that he was going to the lottery. Uh, uh, Shea Gidges Alexander on SportsCenter that he was going to the draft. Um, we also saw the transfer of Sasha Kalia Jones, which that may have been, you know, in direct result of E.J. Montgomery. Maybe it was, maybe it wasn't. Um, and then Dylan Pulliam is transferring to uh, get his master's degree. So that's kind of where we stand at 614 on this particular Wednesday evening. Uh, and like you mentioned, P.J. and Jared will also see kind of what uh, Hamidou Diallo does and winning Gabriel. But it's it's put that buzz back. Uh, maybe the buzz should have never faded or waned. Maybe fans didn't really know a lot about the team coming into this year, youngest team in the country. Not as much sizzle. But the sizzle was back with this incoming class and with the potential there. And like you mentioned, the veteran presence that this team is already going to have returned. Oh, did we lose TV? Oh, yeah, let me get TV back on. There we are. Get your mic turned back on TV, my bad. Get TV back on. Um, might have dropped his call there. But, yeah, so a lot to be excited about. And if, for those who listen, we don't talk a lot of recruiting. We just kind of talk about it once they really arrive in the summer leading up into the fall, leading up to Big Blue Madness. But the excitement is definitely there um, for the buzz created from this basketball team. Uh, excitement also for the spring game coming up Friday. We'll talk with Van House, former UK defensive back, at 630. Um, so we're looking forward to that as well. But we are sitting here talking recruiting, and we don't dive into it as much as everyone else. But with all that action early in the week, back-to-back, Big name uh, kids committing to Kentucky. Even TB and myself had to take a minute and lead the show off with some recruiting. I want to take a second also, too, and just say hello to uh, uh, Miss Betty Baird, who uh, crossed paths with her on Facebook this evening from Lexington, lives in Owensboro now. Um, the uh, 
Animal Sciences Building was named after her father. Uh, she grew up and interacted with Coach Rupp as a young child. It was fascinating talking with her. Told her about the show, and if you can listen on Facebook. If you're listening, Miss Betty Bear, we definitely appreciate it uh, and enjoyed talking with you this evening on Facebook. Look forward to talking with you uh, on further occasions in the future. So thanks for, for checking out the show and taking time out of your email to listen to us. We appreciate it. And we got you back, TV. I'm here. All right, all right. I, take, I had your mic off for a minute, but then we got you back in the fold. So uh, look at us, man. 17 minutes in, and we're talking recruiting like we're just enrolling somebody. What's really going on? <laughs> well, it, it's hard to not be excited, and uh, yeah. you, you can feel that. Uh, you know, I, I've, I've talked about this before. You know, this year's team, it's kind of what we thought. I mean, I, I know that the, uh, the bracket kind of opened up, but this team I kind of felt most of the year It was, like we said, uh, they got to the Sweet 16. <clears throat> get Terry back. A little phone in and out. Ultimately, this year's team, you know, to quote Dennis Green, they, they are who we thought they were. They're, they're who we thought they were. Made it to the Sweet 16. Kind of what you expected. If you look back at how the season was going, all the ups and downs, Four-game losing streak, people thinking they're not going to even make the tournament. You're hearing that kind of murmuring going on. Um, so then they get they get hot, bounce back from the four-game losing streak, and get on a roll outside of the Florida game, finish the regular season strong, heading into the SEC tournament and NCAA tournament. Hopes peaked when the bracket – played out with Arizona and Virginia and Tennessee and Cincinnati, all the top four seasons in the region uh, in that side of the bracket, all go down. Should have beat Kansas State. Uh, San Antonio was there. But when you look at the season as a whole, like you said, TV, and the team as a whole, when you look at all the turbulence and the ups and downs that they went through, like I said, to quote Dennis Green, this team kind of was who we thought they were. They're who we thought they were. Yeah, and, and you can't be championship or bust. And I think there's a lot of frustration, and I get it, that, that possibly there should be at least one more title. You know, I, I think 2014, 2015, those two, uh, those two seasons, like they hurt. See it? I, I get that. But – you know, what makes Kentucky basketball special isn't just the championships, isn't just the wins. It's, it's watching, you know, teams come together and give us their best effort. And that's, that's what this team did. I, I think this team maximized what they could do. I, I really do. And I understand the frustration with Kansas State, but I, I think this team, like you keep saying, they were who we thought they were. Now, next year's team is going to be different. Next year's team, I, I'm going to go ahead and say, hey, 316, that's not going to be good enough for what we got going next year. Like, they, we, don't, we don't need to stumble in the SEC regular season. You know, this needs to be that team 
that Kentucky team that we're used to that just goes out, kicks everybody's butt, and, and is in the mix at the end of the season. So, um, so I'm looking forward to it. I, I know we've got the spring game coming up, but uh, for football, but it's never too early, I don't think, to to start talking about basketball. So, this upcoming team, if everything comes together uh, as you would expect, uh, if they figure it out sooner or later, whenever they peak, which by now everybody should know Cal teams will do, barring you know season-ending injuries, you know to the best player on the team. Will you, you know, you you you, you wrote on Cameron Mills Radio, championship or bust. We we still got to step back and have fun being fans of a team that has won 10% of all NCAA basketball championships in the history of NCAA basketball championships. You're not putting championship or bust on this team, I wouldn't say. I'm not trying to put words in your mouth. But you are putting get past the Sweet 16 and be in the mix at the end expectations on this team. Is that, is that absolutely. fair Yeah, and, and that's absolutely where I'm coming from. You know, I see comments from folks like, you know, this past season, this isn't Kentucky basketball. You know, you, you can't make the bare minimum elite eight every year. I mean, I see people talk about, you know, SEC championships and, 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 and I, you, you can't make that the bare minimum. That's what I, I don't understand. There are more years than not when we don't have a dominant team. I mean, that's just the way it is. Uh, there are lots of years under every coach that was just like this past year where they, they, they find their stride, they grind it out, uh, maybe not win the SEC regular season, win the SEC title. You know, we get hardware of some sort, you know, when it comes to SEC. To me, that's what makes Kentucky special. Every team uh, in the SEC around the country, you have that one year where it all comes together, right? You know, uh, you think about St. Joe's. They went undefeated that one year with, uh, 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 oh, I can see the guys, uh, Jameer Nelson. Jameer Nelson, yeah. Yeah, you see, you know, uh, Tennessee has had. Yeah, in the West, yeah, yeah. And, yeah. and and they've had that. We've seen, you know, Ole Miss had a run under Ansu Cisse, and Auburn's had a run, and Florida's had a run, <laughs> and and just look around the country. What makes Kentucky, Kentucky, in my opinion, is even when we're not great, even when it's not a con- typical Kentucky team, we're still winning hardware of some sort. You know that that's to me what <laughs> yeah. separates Kentucky and the North Carolina, and, and even the Dukes, when we start talking about the Blue Bloods, is even their best teams, or their not-so-best teams, still make noise. You know, this year, yeah. a play here, a play there, if we get to the Final Four, you can say, this team wasn't great. Figured it out. They got, you know, they, they got to the Final Four. With it. So I, I think that's what really separates Kentucky as a program from other programs is that it really doesn't even take our best to be better than everybody else. And I, and, and that to me is what makes Kentucky special. It's not just the championships, although that's nice. I mean, when you've got 10% of the championships, that's a nice to have. That's a nice fallback on. Uh, 
uh, but you and I are old enough to remember one of the most beloved teams in Kentucky history didn't even make the final four when you talk about the untouchables. Now, if we're championship yeah. or bust, do we, are the untouchables, are they garbage? Dan Issel never won a championship. Is he garbage? Rex Chapman, Kenny Walker, Sam Bowie. I mean, there, there are guys, you know, that are great, great players. We've had great teams that didn't win it. You know, I think the 95 team was a really good team. I think the, the 2003 team was a great team, a great team that didn't win it. Sometimes that happens. The, the random nature of the NCAA tournament does not always lend itself to the best team winning. But for Kentucky, we're yeah. still in the discussion. You know, uh, making it to the Sweet 16 is not a bad year. We're not going to put up a, a bear for it, but it's not, terrible, it's not a terrible year. Exactly. And, you know, you talk about teams figuring it out and, and making noise, even if they're not the greatest team. That's always been kind of the description of the 98 team. Uh, I think they were ranked ninth to start the season. Many nationally didn't expect them uh, to get back to the Final Four or get back to the final game like they did in 96 and 97. Figured it out, a lot of comebacks along the way, uh, a few head-scratching losses by Kentucky standards along the way. Um, but they were able to put it together and make that run after losing on Valentine's Day and never losing again. And they'll all be together going into the end of this week. Was it Friday? They're going to be at Keeneland signing bottles and Fayette Mall and all yep. sports, trying to keep up with all the cameras' tweets, and more <laughs> of that team, more members of that team are going to be back for the Maker's Mark ceremony and signing, including Tubby Smith, than any of the other past title-winning teams. Uh, so they, they kind of, you know, competition even amongst champs, and they brought back more members from their championship year than any other team. Uh, Coach Smith is is coming in as well, and if anybody's listening to Cameron's show Sunday, Cameron Mill show, uh, the interview with Tubby was really really good to hear, and it's definitely cool to see him coming back uh, to celebrate with the team. Uh, I, I definitely uh, I, I'd like to see Tubby come in with his high point squad. It's time to put Tubby up in the rafters. You know, he's, he checks all the boxes uh, of, of what you're looking for in a, in a coach. And um, I'd, I'd like to see that this season. So, hope we can make that, uh, we can make that a, a reality. Uh, but, yeah, uh, the 98 team, uh, man, <laughs> Woo, that's, now, now I'm feeling old. You know, it was one thing when it was a 78 <laughs> team being, being honored. But, but 98, I mean, I'm, I'm vivid with – uh, what I was doing then, you know, uh, and I, I, it didn't Absolutely. hit me as much with with '96, with its 20th anniversary. But the, this '98 team, this was, oh, yeah, yeah. So I'm I'm feeling this one right here. Absolutely. And speaking of reality and all of that, the reality now is that our first guest is on the line. A former Kentucky DB, 1993 to 96. 
joining us for the second time, uh, came on the first time with us, tweeted us a picture of the wonderful ribs that he makes. Van House, my fellow VH, is on Cast Talk Wednesday with us this evening. How are you doing, Van? Doing well, VH. TB, how you always doing? <laughs> doing good. Welcome to the show. Yeah. Appreciate yes, it. Sir. Appreciate yes, it. Sir. Now, now Van Terry is all about that TB, you know, uh, you know, Tampa Bay, different things where he can incorporate that in. <laughs> so when we get that VH thing, you know, we got to stick together and, and represent and hold it down for the VHs. Yes, sir. All day. All day. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. We're definitely going to talk some football, talk some spring game with you. But we got a flashback to last week's show just for a second. And we were tweeting and debating, and we had a Soul Food Sweet 16 on. Uh, I mentioned that you are a grill master, and, you know, you tweeted us some of the delicious barbecue that you prepared the last time you were on the show. So we get a tweet from you on the show, so I'm figuring that you're going to pick maybe the barbecue chicken or the, or the turkey or chicken and waffles, and you pick collard greens as your soul food winner on that particular bracket. So you, you kind of threw in a curveball with that. Man, I'm a, I'm a true southern boy from Mississippi, Baton Rouge, both of them, really. And, um, man, collard greens is, man, I – the the rice collard greens, it's it's hands cool. down. There's there is no meat that can beat good collard greens, zero. Mm. I mean, you you can ask my wife. I, I eat collard greens for breakfast, lunch, and dinner easily. Wow, like ham hock or no? Just the right, even you say you know, just seasoned right. And you got to have ham hock. You got to have a little bit. You know if. That's that's extra. I don't have to, but uh, that just makes it extra good. Yeah, I, yeah. There you go. <laughs> yeah, I, I actually that's put different. brisket in in it too, so it it, it covers all bounds. The collard greens are are definitely my my hands down favorite. Hey, good deal. Appreciate you participating in the bracket too. It was. It's cool to see a tweet from you. We had fun with that, and uh, it was fun kind of kicking those topics around. Yes, sir. As mentioned, you know, for those who didn't, weren't listening when Van was on it the first time, grill master extraordinaire, maybe you were being humble, or maybe I didn't do my research, maybe I should have asked a little bit more. Didn't know that you also catered and 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 delivered the goodness to the people. Uh, the business is called And It's Good. So tell us how, a little bit about that and how you started catering to Good Barbecue. Oh, well, um, it was, I can't remember. It was years ago, and I just moved back home to Baton Rouge, and, and I was cooking for my family, and my sister said, man, the, the, the whole city needs to taste it. I'm like, yeah, whatever. I'm like, she's like, yeah, do it. I'm like, okay, you're going to dare me. <laughs> so so and my sister worked for a company, and they needed some food catered. So I um I catered a lunch for them, and they loved it. And somebody heard of it and said, you have to go. There's this um this company here that 
delivers to the um, the businesses in Baton Rouge. It's a different business every day. So um, they was like, you have to join this this thing, and I did. And if I wasn't an engineer, which is my first passion, I would probably have a restaurant. But but it's kind of hard to shut down my business to start something that is not a guarantee. <laughs> So yeah, it's it's a passion of my 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 wife is a great cook, and uh, I'm a real good griller. So it actually it actually meshes up really well. That is all right. So it is. Make sure I'm saying this right. And it's good is the name of it, right? Yep. You can go to andit'sgood.com. Um, we don't have a restaurant because, like I said, I, I actually travel a lot. Um. So I, I I can't stop that. So later on in life, maybe when I when I the uh, the decide to hang the engineering up, we might start a, a restaurant. The, the dude on but the food yeah, channel. Go, I think and it's good BBQ dot com. And it's good BBQ dot com. Cool, cool. Yeah. Um, I think is it Eddie Jackson that's play for Arkansas that's on the Food Network now. That I, I think that's who it was. Alabama play he played in the SEC. Um and he's kinda stepped into barbecuing, you see him on grilling shows and stuff like that. Huh. I think oh, I wanna I have to Google it. I think it's Eddie Jackson. I don't know if you'd seen him on T V and if you had or you kinda Sizing them up and, and, and say, you know, well, I think I do this a little bit better than he does. And I I, I looked that up as we talk, and I, I think it's Eddie Jackson. He played in the 2000. I want to say Arkansas, but I, don't quote me. I'll look it up as we continue the conversation, though. Um, because this coming Friday, the spring game, uh, under the lights, Kroger Field, 630. Uh, spring practice has been going on. As a former player yourself, what was your mindset, you know, going through spring practice? Say the very first time as a freshman, going through it all, taking it all in the first time, and then getting to that spring game as a collegiate for the first time. Well, my my first year, my spring practice was everything. Um when I came to Kentucky, I was only 17. So um, I was still growing into my body. Um, I think when I stepped on campus, I might have been 5'10", 160 pounds, 155 pounds, I think. And by the time I got through spring practice, I was 6 feet, 185 pounds. So going through the two things that helped me tremendously was the bowl. My freshman year, we went to the Peach Bowl, so I got those. Uh, that extra month of practice and the spring catapulted me to actually having a great sophomore year because when I came to Kentucky, we had three great corners, um, Willie Cannon, Don Robinson, and Adrian Sherwood. So as a corner, I wasn't going to touch the field. It was impossible. So the way I even got to play was I played as a safety because we had a couple of injuries. Melvin got his arm broken and, um, I can't remember this back or got hurt. So that spring practice gave me that extra time to hone my craft. Um, 
And because without going through, once you go through the season, the your ability to really get better at your position isn't the, the time just isn't there because you're always preparing for the next week. So in spring, that's your time to work on technique, technique, technique. And that spring practice was – that first spring practice was huge for me. Now the next spring practices were not <laughs> as big as a veteran that you start to you start to hate spring practice. <laughs> so, but that first one, I mean, it was it was everything. That was exactly where I was hoping you would go. Just to compare and contrast that first one, and then what they were like as a veteran, and and you you know the drill and you dread the drills. You're just trying to. <laughs> you go from soaking it up to knowing it and just trying to get through it as a vet, right? Uh, uh, it's, it's, yes, so to speak. I hope I don't have any of my coaches <laughs> listening, but yes, so to speak. Um, there, there are, although there are things that, you know, each each year um, I had a meeting with, well, not just me, the whole secondary had a meeting with our coach Rick Smith at the time, and he broke down what we really need to work on. So that was always something to work on. Um, it's just, you know, once you start getting to your, your junior year, you start getting to your major, the work starts getting more difficult. Time in school is is more time off your off your schedule. It starts to get in that spring is when football is not going on. You you come back your your the January or February winter winter and you have all this time, so to speak, to get your work. And then they hit you with five o'clock, six o'clock, uh, early morning workouts, three o'clock practice. Yeah, it, it, as a as a vet, definitely your junior senior year, it become like, oh, geez. I can't wait till this is over. <laughs> <laughs> Talking with former UKDB Van House TV man, jump on in anytime because I'm not trying to be dominating and staying along with you, man. No, I'm 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 listening because. Uh oh, did we lose TV signal? I lost TV. I lost TV. Uh, but he'll definitely jump back. Um, as a senior man, you had 64 tackles, 10 pass breakups, three interceptions, and made all SEC second team. What was your mindset at the end of that junior year going into that senior year? You know, you tell, you know you're a veteran, like you mentioned, with the spring games and things like that. Obviously, you were not afraid of contact and weren't making business decisions in run support. But just your, your focus and mindset going into that season when you put those numbers up. Well, the, the crazy thing about that, I didn't – play spring my junior year because I had a concussion and I think the I don't even think it was a concussion but I had a a a symptoms against Mississippi State at Mississippi State my junior year so training staff said okay he he's not going to participate in spring football this year so I was actually lucky <laughs> so I was lucky so I didn't have to um, participate in that my last spring football but, you know, my mindset then, which really, really helped me, I was, all, I was already a student of the game, but it gave me, for the first time in my life, because I've 
I've never not played since I was eight years old. So it was the first time to watch the game from the sideline and to see the little things that you can't see when you when you're playing. Um, it's the little things that you can't see when you're watching film because it's not live. When you're on the field and seeing guys go live and you're watching it and you can actually start breaking down what the offense is trying to do, it actually helped me a lot for my senior year. Um, so my mindset going into my senior year was I want to be that senior class like when I was a freshman to go out in a bowl game. It didn't happen, but that was my mindset to do whatever it took to get this team back to another bowl. So um, that was my outlook, and actually uh, the whole senior class, we um, we just didn't perform until I think what the last four games until Coach Curry was was ousted, which which stinks for for our class to be be labeled that as a class that got Coach Curry fired, but that is what it is. You you mentioned being a student of the game and, and by not being in every rep live and, and taking more of a mental approach to it, were you also fresher going into that season by not playing, or did that not matter, you know, from a physical standpoint, whether you had played or not played, would have been such a time gap between spring and fall? Yeah, I, I, for me, I've I've never felt pressure. That was never me. It was I was playing a game that I loved, so the, I never felt any pressure. Um, I I felt like we owed it to to the city and our fans. I mean, it's people don't understand how great our fans are. When I think, I mean, we went we won six one. I think I'm I think I won less than fifty games in four years of Kentucky, and when we were on the road. Fans were there. The only game mm-hmm. I can say everywhere. The only game I can say where it was kind of overwhelming was Florida, but everywhere else, we we felt the support. So um, I I really wanted to win it for for my senior class and for our fans because they were always they were always there, which is kind of crazy for me coming guy from Louisiana, you know who's used to LSU fans and have that actually come to Kentucky. It was, it was, I was mind blown. I might've misspoke where, where you thought that pressure, but were you also physically fresher having not played that spring going into that fall? Oh, season? you know, I was never a guy who was fast. So I, I never had hamstring problems. Um, uh, you know, at that age, like I said, I was young, so I didn't turn 21 until my senior year. You, you your recovery is so fast. It, yeah, I was, I was, I never felt tired. Never felt physically worn down. Um, we also didn't go to bowl games every year, so you know we had that extra month of rest. Um, so um, no, I, I never. I never had that. Oh man, in my body, I need to. I need another. I hope we get an off week so I can get my body back. No, 
And, and our and our yeah. training staff, our conditioning was incredible. If I mean, I, I know there were teams we played, and they were like, "Man, y'all are the most well conditioned, hardest hitting team that we have played all year in conference." Right. Hmm. Talking from UKDB Van House. You also mentioned being a student of the game even before you set out, you know, the spring practice with the injury, taking that onto the field, into the game, you know, you'll hear you know, quarterbacks talk post-game or guys that are retired, quarterback and the receiver give each other a look because it's the coverage they know they can exploit. You, on the defensive side of the ball, pre-snap, could you tell sometimes by formation – what a route combination was going to be that I already know that I can jump this route or, or be more aggressive on this particular situation, or did that kind of happen once the snap had already happened? Oh, no, it was – I'm trying to – I had, like, maybe one interception that wasn't a real pre-snap read. The, the, the I'm trying to think of the classic example. Class, classic example was actually – my last game against Peyton Manning, uh, I know people can ask, like, how does he remember this? They they lined up in – it was a, a weak side. They had one receiver on the weak side, and I always played in the boundary. Had two receivers on to the field. And the formation dictated that if we run 3D, that run a backside curl because the backside corner should be playing deep thirds. Well, I knew what was going to happen. And they ran the backside curl, and I picked it off. And I, I've known Peyton. I played him in high school. He went to Newman in New Orleans. Uh, played him a couple times in high school. And he came to the, after the game and said, "How did you pick off that pass in 3D?" I'm like Peyton because I watch film. I know what you're gonna do. You're gonna look the look off backside, and you'll come back to the backside curl. That's the only way. That's the only way I made it because I wasn't a I wasn't a four three guy. I was a four or five guy, and um, the way I made it in in conference is uh, pre snap reads. That's yeah. all I did. I splits the receiver lined up with his inside foot forward or outside foot forward on top of the numbers, outside of the numbers, uh, all that. Running back split to your side. Running backs away from you. Uh, if if you can marry. Being a great athlete, which I was—I mean, I was a good athlete. I wasn't great. I was well. I was a great athlete. I wasn't elite. I was a great athlete that married the the film in with it, and that's how I became off conference. Unbelievable, unbelievable. And the fact that you were in his head, just—he's kicking himself because <laughs> just so irritated that that you. We're a step ahead on that particular yeah. play. <laughs> He's gonna come and yeah, ask I, you about it. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, it's you know well. If I'm, I'm, I don't think Peyton threw that many picks in, in college anyway. So every pick was bother him. I'm sure every one. <laughs> and yeah, and me knowing weird. him. And, and the funny thing about it is, I mean, uh, a trivial pursuit question, I guess is. I am the only guy that intercepted him in high school and college. Whoa, okay. 
Look at hey, that. That is, yeah. You're crazy. That's that's quite an honor. That's an honor to have. What did you going to say, TV? I, I think that was, uh, was that the game you're talking about, Ben? Was that, a, that was a close game against Tennessee, right? That was one of those close games during that, during that stretch, if I remember it correctly. Because Peyton was no, kind of frustrated the, for the most close, of it. Was, no, okay, the, close sorry, was actually, the close was actually the year before. Okay. Uh, when we okay. played them at, at home. We, it was a close okay, game until the first half. It was close first half, then the second half they they went on a little run, a, okay. a quick basketball <laughs> 10 <tenno> run. <laughs> and, then, <laughs> and they blew it open. Yeah. Yeah, but yeah, it was, it was close was at, at halftime. What, what, what actually happened to us that year, I think we won three games straight, Georgia, Vanderbilt, and I can't remember the third game. So we was coming to Tennessee with some momentum, and um, we had defense in Chris Ward at that time, who was who was wreaking havoc on quarterbacks with sacks. I, I can't remember he got the single season record that year. I can't remember, but he went down with an injury in late late in the second quarter, and once he went down, we didn't have a great amount of depth, and Peyton could sit back there and pat the ball all day. Yeah. And, and, no. and I'm glad you brought that up because Vinny and I talk about that. Going through the SEC, there's there's that three or four game stretch where it's absolutely brutal, where you know you've got three or four physical, you know, top twenty five, top thirty teams that you have to play in a row. Like, how do you prepare for that kind of death march? Well, you know, it's just going to be a physical grind, you know, for the next month. Yeah, I, I was, I was never that, that. I mean, I know it's cliche. I was never that guy that actually looked ahead. Um, I, I took it week by week, and you know, for for me, it was all about the competition of playing some some of the great receivers that we had in the conference. Um, you know, Florida always had three. Jackson and Hilliard and uh, Auburn had uh-huh. Frank Sanders. Uh, LSU had Kennison. Uh, 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 Mississippi State had the guy who went to Buffalo. I can't remember his name right now. Off the top of my head. Paul Moles. Eric, so they, Eric Moles. Yep. Oh, it was yeah. always you had to be on your on the top of your game every week. So that whatever happened the week before, it was gone <laughs> because uh, come Monday. We you had to prepare for a really good receiver. So um, for for me as a DB, you know I, I'm sure those the down four guys and linebackers probably pay attention to that more. But as a DB, man, you know you know it's all about mentally forgetting what just bad happened <laughs> because someone is going to get something on you. As as a DB, there's no DB who's who's Never got beat, you know. Um, so it's yeah. mentally you have to prepare for that next play, that next day, and the next game. So, you know, the SEC was always tough. Now, I will say this, too. The SEC wasn't as tough when I was playing as it is now. Um, when I was playing in East, Florida was head and shoulders better than everybody else. And there was a clear yeah. drop. N- now it's like, geez, every week is. <laughs> you know, every week is 
ridiculous. And that's kind of sad for me to say because we lost a lot of games. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Well, the support was still there, and, and we still appreciate everything y'all put in. So that that's never going to change for sure. Oh, yeah, absolutely. for sure. I got I got one more question for you from a playing standpoint, and then I kind of bring it up, your thoughts on on the current team and things of that nature. Uh, you know, offensively, you you know, you hear quarterback, you know, tell the lineman just give me a little bit more time, or uh, things like that. Defensively, have have the D lineman ever come up to you guys, you know, asking for you to cover just a little bit longer? We're almost getting there. Or vice versa, are you, you know, the the secondary asking the the D line, hey, get on in there quickly, or you know, is there any kind of interactions like that amongst the positions that, are, of course, working together as a unit? Oh, for sure. Talk, oh, man. I just talk to my guys all the time. If you can get there in four seconds. It's gonna get picked. <laughs> mm-hmm. I mean, that's a four second route. Most people can cover for a second route. If you can get there in three seconds, it's a done deal. Now, if it goes over five, now we're in trouble. <laughs> now we're in trouble. Over five seconds, that means those guys are able to run a double move. They're able to run a post corner. They're able to run those double routes that are hard hard to cover, especially if you're playing man. Now, if you're playing zone, it doesn't really matter as much. Um but if we blitzing, and which has happened, the linebacker doesn't go in the right gap, and that quarterback gets to sit there, and we have no help over the top, and that receiver able to run for six seconds, yeah, he's probably going to catch it. Wow. So, so as, as a DB, uh, look, the reason why my freshman year we were so good in the secondary is because we had – uh, the John Carters, John Collins, the Zane Bean, uh, the Martin Moores playing linebacker who was smart, the Deuce Williams. Uh, we had a front seven that was stout. And um, those guys got to the quarterback. And it's not about for secondary guys. You know, I know they care about sacks. As a secondary guy, I just need you in the quarterback's face. Make him not be able to make the throw that he really wants to step into the throw like he wants to. If he's falling back, that gives me a better chance to to break because that split second, he's not able to spin it like he wants to. Is at that time that I can, I can possibly break on the ball and at least get my hands on. Yeah. So yeah, 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 we we always talk. Yeah. That's so so great. All eleven trying to work as one. Everybody having to do their job and how every what everybody does or doesn't do <laughs> positively and negatively affects everybody else on down the line. So it's, it's exactly that's and that's and that's why I think this team has this upcoming team has a great chance to be good because I think that front four has some depth to it, and if you can continually press the quarterback, I mean. People on this, if you can get the offense, don't say pressure, but let's say you can get the offense behind the chain. So it's second and nine, it's third and seven, 
it's easier to play defense as a cornerback in third and seven than as a player at third and four because you have no idea if they're going to pass or throw. They're going to run a five-yard hitch, or maybe they run a, a hitch and go because it's third and four, and they might think you, you're trying to gamble. Third and seven, mm-hmm. I can sit back and zone and say, okay, let me stop at seven. Anything thrown in front of me, I know for me, I'm, I'm going to tackle and bring them down. That, that's mm-hmm. how I play, though. So third and seven, if you catch it in front of me, it's, it's fourth down. Mm-hmm. Um, so if that front four can first down, first and ten, they run up the gut and they only get a half a yard, okay, now – as a secondary, I start feeling good. Oh, second and nine, okay. They have to throw a hitch at least. What I was thinking. Second and nine, I also played offense a lot in high school. So second and nine, I'm thinking they're going to throw a hitch because they want to get the third and four and under. But they want to throw something underneath. So now, no matter what cover the coach is calling, in my head I'm thinking they're going to run something underneath. So let me watch out for what the scouting report says about their underneath routes. Talking with former KDB Van House, and I'll be just get your thoughts on your area of expertise for this coming year's team, the secondary. We've seen get a lot, a lot of hype the past couple of years, uh, a lot of praise, you know, especially the corners. Um, I like catching some of your tweets during the game. Because you you call it like you see it. I enjoy your conversations with Anthony White during games or the day after games. What is your overall expectation from this group? What do you what do you see from the guys on the back end for this year's Kentucky team? Well, I would say this: I was disappointed with their play last year. Um, uh, Beatty started year great, but he dropped off. Um, towards the end of the season, I, I I think he had an injury. I don't know what it was, but his confidence, you can see. As a DB, confidence is everything. Uh, DBs have to have a little swag. Um, and he kind of lost it about halfway during the season. Uh, Westry just didn't have it like he had the previous two years. And um, I expect those guys with Edwards, I expect them to be the best secondary in in the SEC at least, they should be top five in the conference because, to me, they have no excuse because the front four is pretty good. So uh, I'm hoping those guys start to um, to play to, to, to their abilities because we have big corners that can run, and we have a great safety in Edwards. I mean – that that alone, and those guys have started what three? They'll be just just their their third year starting as a group. Yeah. So, I'm expecting big things. I'm I'm not expecting old Miss game for for Liner to get beat on. I'm not expecting us to get drilled like we got drilled against Southern Miss last year. I'm I'm not expecting that this year. I'm expecting those guys. Most of them are, uh, they're all seniors, right? It's their last chance. Yeah. It's their last chance. And uh, and you keeping it real, you keeping it real, you already mentioned 
the Ole Miss game, a game where Kentucky was up 10 in position to win going away, and a lot was made of kind of just Ole Miss receivers just going up and winning one-on-one battles against the DBs. Um, and also, you know, hate to be negative, but, like, look, you keep it real. You keep it real about your playing days. You keep it real about the current team. And it's not like you're excessively bashing. You're just kind of like you see it. The Florida game, where, again, you're up double digits and in position to win going away, and to have two defensive alignment issues, what are your thoughts when you when you see that, especially playing in the back end like you did? Uh, like like you said, I'm gonna keep, keep it real. The the Florida game was coach's fault. Now I can't give 100 percent of what happened because I'm not there. The Florida game seemed to me like the coaches were trying to sub in last minute to get the perfect personnel for the perfect grouping that Florida was coming in. Because Florida was, if you watch the game, was subbing in late. So then we were trying to match that sub package. But sometimes you just play your base defense. And so with the with the hectiness of going back and forth, it's easy to lose sight of a guy. It It, it happens. So – for me in the Florida game, the guys upstairs in the press box should have relayed that down and, and told Coach to call a timeout. Now, one time is inexcusable. Twice is somebody's head needs to be chopped off, but that's whatever that. The the old Miss game, the DBs got unaggressive. One thing as a DB is you cannot be passive. And that's what happened for what I can see. I was actually at the game. I was actually in the end zone. I'll never forget I was at the game with um, Lamont Smith, and we was watching him. Like, when we kicked out, I'm like, man, I just don't feel good about it. Because although Ole Miss probably had the best, if you really look at it, Ole Miss had the best receiving core in the conference. But with us, uh, the way we played as corners, and it's not the calls that are called on the sideline. As a corner, you have to take up on yourself because it is a one-on-one matchup between you and whomever is across from you. I don't care what coach calls. It's your responsibility to stop them. And there was there was a couple of coverages that was just like, dude, what are you doing? But, like I say, I think we had – I think Beatty was was not totally mentally there, and I think Westry got gun shy. Mm. He didn't he didn't want to he didn't want to go when he needs to go. And the worst thing as a corner is to hesitate, because those guys yeah. are going full speed. If you hesitate, you might miss a tackle. Yeah. I would I would rather as a corner, especially on tackles, I'm gonna go take my shot. As long as I, when I take my shot, make them turn inside, hopefully I got 10 more guys running their butt off to come get him. So instead of getting there, waiting, him dancing in front of you, then he goes outside of you. When he goes sideline, those guys have to run five, ten yards further. And these guys in the SEC, man, once they get ahead of steam going, it's, it's ball game. 
I got to come back with my last question to barbecue. Um, I don't know. I'm going to assume <laughs> that you saw the <laughs> I'm going to assume that you saw the clip that's been all over Twitter. Uh, if you have, cool. If not, I'll, I'll have to retweet it to you, send it to you. Have you seen the Jones barbecue and foot massage loop no. on Twitter? That's just no. been everywhere. No, I haven't. <laughs> I, <laughs> see, the, the name of it, me just saying that is hilarious. And when you see the clip and hear the audio with it, you're really going to think it's hilarious because, you know, peanut butter and jelly, cookies and milk, things that go together. We talk yeah. about barbecue and a foot massage. So <laughs> it's safe to say safe to say there's not going to be a house barbecue and foot massage when you do open that restaurant, right? No, sir. Uh, and, I'll, and I guarantee you he's 300 pounds. <laughs> Man, uh, I I had to see the tweet or retweet it. Uh, okay, it's just everywhere. It's, I don't know how many thousands of retweets and likes, but it's one of those <laughs> little viral bits of comedy that that you crack up and laughing because look, you know when I'm when I'm you know getting my oil changed, the last thing I think about is that I need my teeth cleaned. It, that just don't go together. Right. <laughs> so you got a barbecue, <laughs> a barbecue place and a foot massage. It just that just doesn't go. So you being no. the barbecue, you know, master that you are, I had to at least check in on that to make sure there wasn't going to be no foot massage going on with the house barbecue. Uh, no, I'm, I'm sure. I'm sure the the health department is is is, is pulling their hair out <laughs> with with that one. Come on, man. Absolutely. Absolutely. No way. Well, Van, man, man, I can't thank you enough for taking the time to hop on the show with us. Um, everybody come check you out And it's good Get some good barbecue uh, I asked you You said you can ship online So I'm going to hit you up and order some uh, and, okay. and get some of that good taste myself So everybody listening Y'all can order And get some some barbecue online From And it's good From my guy Van House uh, And see for yourself uh, check out him on Twitter at vstyle17. You can see a picture of some of his work, and you can imagine that it tastes is just as good. So, bad man, all the best success with that as you do it on the side, in and around your engineering. And thanks so much for the knowledge. And looking forward to the football season and, and seeing all the insight. And thanks for all the knowledge you brought with us this evening, man. Appreciate it, guys. Appreciate it. No problem. Anytime. Anytime. Thank you. Um, thanks so much. All right, guys. Y'all have a good one. You too. From UKDV, Van House. Man, he brings it every single time he's on with his TV. And like you already tweeted out on Cats Talk Wednesday, and it's exclusive, the only high school and collegiate player that has picked off the great Peyton Manning. Louisiana high school guys, SEC East rivals, Kentucky and Tennessee, Van has intercepted the legendary Peyton on both of those levels. So that was awesome to hear, and we'll definitely talk about that again towards the end of the show. But right now, our second guest is on the line. 
coming from the West Coast, Big Blue fan from Cali, Big Blue Nation is everywhere. We are joined by Cat fans, L.A. Angels fans, Edward Perez. Edward, welcome to Cat Talk Wednesday, and we appreciate you joining us, man. How are you out there in Cali? It's warm. It's warm. It's about 91 degrees out here. <laughs> Man, <laughs> we just spring it, but right in summer, it's summertime. <laughs> Unbelievable! Well, man, we'll we'll eventually get there here. You know, winter's winter's just got spring in a chokehold, but spring is finally trying to stand up for itself and say it's my time. How are you gentlemen doing today? Doing good. Thanks for coming on. Like uh, we said at the top of the show, you and I have actually met quite briefly at my office uh, last fall. So uh, <laughs> it's kind of crazy as that sounds, but I know we keep up on Facebook and Twitter, so I'm, I'm glad to have you on. Hey, well, I really appreciate it. I'm honored to be on with you and Vinny. You guys are, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm honored, to say the least. <laughs> Man, I, I, we're honored to have you. I saw you on Twitter the other day at the uh, at the Angels game. You know, out of obviously enjoying that ninety degree weather with uh, a trip to the ballpark, and with all of the Shohei Otani talk, you know, being back here we're asleep. You know, a lot of times when West Coast games start, you just don't keep up with those teams as much as we like. And I was like, man, who better to have on to talk about this guy and, and all the hype and the great start he's gotten off to pitching and hitting than yourself. So I, that's why I said, well, we just said, have you on to talk about the Angels and, of course, Kentucky Wildcats. But what's the buzz out there with Shohei so far you know, all the hype, and then to see him struggle through the spring and now have such a great first week. Well, I'll tell you this. It is more than a buzz. It is the talk of Southern California. Uh, just, you know, he came out preseason, you know, wasn't throwing, you know, throwing to the low 90s, getting hit around, you know, not looking really good at the plate. But, you know, once the bright lights hit and, he just flipped the switch and he started throwing and playing and hitting like like they told us he did in Japan. And uh, it is beyond belief. I mean, I, I, I equate it to 81 when Fernando Valenzuela came with the Dodgers and started that year, oh. and he took it. Wow. He took, he took the L.A. Barry by storm. And, I mean, being there Sunday, and, and you guys remember it's a, it's an 80-degree day in Southern California. It's a Sunday afternoon, plenty of other things to do. And I've been to many Sunday afternoon games. And granted, you know, the Angels have one of the best, if not the best player in baseball in Mike Trout. But still, on a Sunday, you have a hard time trying to fill the stadium. You know, and you know, like I said, there's millions of other things you can do in Southern California on a warm Saturday, or a warm Sunday morning, uh, afternoon. But that place was filled. And it was electric. And, and I'm glad you brought that up because I was going to ask you to kind of compare it to that Fernando Valenzuela, just that kind of, 
you know, we don't usually see that a whole lot where it's kind of out of nowhere. You know, a guy gives you no real indication in the preseason, but all of a sudden it's just, it's just electric. And, and I'm, that, this is why we brought you on because you, you, you hit the nail right on the head with a question I was going to have for you. Yeah, it's unbelievable. I mean, he's the talk. You know, wherever you go, whatever you see, I mean, his merchandise, his, his, his popularity, of course, is uh, worldwide because, you know, they stay up till, you know, they wake up at 6 in the morning or 5 o'clock. He's playing today. He's playing in a little under an hour. He's DHing, hitting the eighth spot where he normally does. But you go see him, you, you, you watch the game, you follow tweets associated with him, Japan's in, everybody's in, you know, Southern California, uh, the Angel fan base nationwide. It's just, it's unbelievable. It's it's a worldwide thing. I mean, it's it's like when uh, Ichiro came up with Seattle, you know, it's worldwide. And uh, it's great being right in the middle of it and, you know, and just seeing every game how he just contributes a hit, an RBI. He's got three homers. He's got... Two wins, he's two and zero. Oh. He's got eighteen strikeouts. He's just oh, if, if it just keeps going on, it's going to be a, it's going to be the story of the year. You know, it will I, be. What? One more question. Well, I, I guess we'll have others. But does this mean you're going to get another Angels cat? Is is does this mean you're going to get get, a, get another <laughs> one for your collection? <laughs> well, I did get one. I got the uh, 2018. Uh, uh, I got the 2018 cap for uh, preseason cap, so I do have that one. Uh, <laughs> I could, I, I could. There's always, hey, there's always room for another cap in the collection. You know that, Terry. There's always oh, room. Oh, you know, <laughs> <laughs> you know who you're talking to about that. There's, there's always uh, room for one more. I can, I can always, always. Have another spot. Oh. <laughs> Yeah, there there's always room right. for another cap, so. <laughs> Even my son plays hey, no the jersey. Well, well, there you he, go. He has, there you go. Yeah, he has a Zatani jersey, and that stuff's flying. That gear, he, yeah. his gear is flying off the stadiums and in the stores. It's just going crazy. Unbelievable. Talking with Edward Perez, big blue fan, also an Angels fan, out there where the Angels are taking – the nation by storm, Shohei taking the world by storm. Has Mike Sosha kind of, I mean, given, you know, in the event that there isn't a prolonged slump on either side of the ball for him, hitting or pitching, has Mike Sosha just kind of basically said he's going to get 25 starts and 400 at-bats? Is, is there a limit or is it just throw him out there and let him go? What, what were any parameters? going into the season on what to expect production-wise from him. Yeah, I think the parameters are he's going to – this is the hard thing to figure out because they already have two starters who already have been on the DL and trying to bring up guys to pitch and give him the rest he needs between pitching. Uh, He usually doesn't uh, go on bat. He's off the field the day before he pitches and the day after he pitches and maybe an extra day, but then – He'll hit the next two days. So, like, tonight he'll hit. Tomorrow he'll hit. He's scheduled to pitch Sunday in Kansas City. So there's a question as whether or not he'll pitch. He'll hit Friday. But the realistic hopes, and he's already got three homers. 
Now, if the guy hits, gets 20 home runs and has a good average and gets 15 wins for this club, he's done everything they've asked. Because the other thing mm. he's done is he's punched bodies in the He's put seats, you know, he's filling the seats, selling merchandise, and bringing popularity and bringing, you know, bringing the Angels back from a few years of just being kind of a, a middling 500 team. So, you know, he's putting them on the map. They're on, you know, they'll be on Sports Center tonight. If he comes and, you know, ropes another homer tonight or goes two for four, you know, it'll be on Sports Center tonight. Guaranteed. Absolutely. I'm sorry, Vinny, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, he's, you know, got the the swing that's kind of more typical to guys that come from Japan, you know, kind of gets it started early, kind of leaning towards first base, kind of starting down the line as they make contact, you know, a la Ichiro, but with power. You know, I mean, Ichiro would get a hold of one every now and then, but he was more slapping singles and stuff like that. This kid is is, is doing the same thing. And just launching shots so far, unbelievable. Yeah, one of the one of the homers he hit. Uh, I mean, he he hit one off of Corey Kluber a week ago, and Corey Kluber's you know Cy Young, you know, Cy Young guy, and he he took Corey Kluber out, and then another game against Cleveland, or I'm trying to think it's Cleveland or Oakland, he took one out over the uh, the camera in center field, and that's no small feat, especially at night, because out here when you play at night that that heavy air gets in, but there there was no heavy air on this thing. He he shattered it through the heavy air and well out into into left center field, you know, going off the field. So his hitting is uh, he's he's quite a hitter, to say the least. Go ahead, TV. Well, I was going to ask because you're out uh, in LA, in California, where there's professional teams of all sorts all over the place. And and so besides the Angels, who else who else are you pulling for out in California? Well, I'm an LA Kings fan, so hockey playoffs start tonight. So mm-hmm. uh, but I really I normally am into hockey big time, but when your baseball team the Angels is 9 and 3, you're really going <laughs> to clip on to watching their games because they're they're now a half a game ahead of Houston with Houston losing today, so they can be in sole possession of first place and be to their best start that they've ever had at ten and three. If they go in and take and take the final game of the series from Texas and sweep the series, so. But I love them. I'm a Chargers fan. Uh, I I just refer to them as Chargers. They'll always be San Diego in my heart, although they moved to L.A. <laughs> So they are just the Chargers to me, but I I, I love them and uh, I love the Lakers. Uh, you know, grew up oh with them Lord. in the seventies. They got Kareem and the <laughs> Showtime Showtime Lakers in the eighties, which I still hold as <laughs> you know the you know one of the greatest, if not the greatest, teams in in NBA history. With Magic, Kareem, Worthy, and all that crew, and Pat. You know the you know the the Kentucky boy who came out and you know. Went from the booth to the to the sideline and you know made his mark in L.A. and then went to Miami and won a few more rings there. So um, those those are the teams, you know, those are the pro teams that I follow with, with all my heart. So. 
And, and, and yeah, Vinny, I set that up to get a little Lakers plug in there. So that was that was my setup. <laughs> well, so, uh, you can't believe it or I'll not. Tell you this. I, I'm gonna pull a 180 on y'all because there are a couple of really good Lakers stories off the court that TB. I knew you and I were going to talk about, and definitely need to talk about them now that Ed has unfortunately let us know he's a Lakers fan as well. Um, <laughs> but you know. <laughs> The fact that the Elgin Baylor finally gets a statue in front of Staples Center, he should have had one out in front of the Forum, in my opinion, and then Andre Ingram making his debut last night. Those are two great stories from Lakerland that I know you guys are definitely excited about, especially since they're not making the playoffs. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> hey, don't forget Julius Randle. Julius Randle, who – and this really irked my craw because, you know, being a big Kentucky fan, you know, there were guys saying early in the year, they got to move them. They got to move them. And I just, I cringed every time. And I told friends, I said, you know, Walton didn't know how to play him. And then he finally just said, go out and play. And Julius had a tremendous year. And I knew he had it in him. I mean, that, that year in 2014 when he was with Kentucky, and I go back and I watch all the tournament games and stuff like that. Julius had he had the skill, he had the down low game, and he had the grit, but he also had the energy and and just the fight in him. And I thought, yeah, if if, if Luke Walton just gave him that shot, he proved that he's he's all that. And I'm glad they stuck with him, and I hope that they make him a integral part of the future of that Laker team because they're they're almost right on the cusp of getting right there. And you know, there's some teams that are aging in that West, and and uh, I think that. You know the Lakers are about a year, maybe next year. They're they're right at the precipice of making a move back into the playoffs. It's, it's, I, I'm right there. With for real though, for, why why didn't Elgin Baylor have a statue before now? For real, and y'all know I'm not a Lakers fan, but what's up with that? I, I don't know. Elgin Baylor was a phenom, and when he came out, he was just. He was a different player. He was, he had the touch, he had the scoring ability, but he could also go down and and be physical and go to the hole and play, play down low or play outside, and and was just so good and, and just ahead of his time, just purely ahead of his time as a player. I, I yeah, and I agree with you. I, I think for me, and Ed, you you know, I've talked forever and ever, tweeted about it, talked on the show, the Lakers more so than any other pro franchise, they replace not just their star players, they replace super-duper elite players like nobody else. When you look at the history of the Lakers going all the way back to Mike and, you know, before the move, it's a who's who. I mean, I've said forever, you could take the Lakers' all-time five and you would pretty much beat anybody else's all-time five. I, I just think that. I just think yeah, that Elgin Baylor got lost in the shuffle. When you look at, you know, Jerry West and, and then uh, uh, Chamberlain comes in and then Kareem and Magic. I mean, even diehard Lakers fans, he might be your seventh or eighth person that you name when you talk about all-time great Laker players. Oh, yeah. Oh. I mean, you've had, you know, so many guys come through and play there. I mean, you, you go you go to Staples Center and you see that 
that wall of the retired jerseys and things like that. And you sit there and you say, I could put an all-time Laker team together. I mean, you think you, you just mentioned it. Think about it. Mikan, uh, Chamberlain, Abdul-Jabbar, Shaq. I mean, those are, those are four of the yeah. greatest centers of all time that were all yeah. Lakers. How are you going to get down to two if you, if you create an all-time <laughs> team? And 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 I just think that that he just and you hate to say he got overlooked, but he got overlooked. You know, if during that time, you know, uh, because he did not play for a championship team, right? If I remember correctly, he retired. No, he did not. He retired the year before. Right, yeah, right. They finally got over the hump in '72 after all those years in the '60s. A fallen short, and you know, at the hands of the Celtics, and then the Knicks got him in '70 uh, with the Willis Reed game, and and but no, Elgin never got the ring, and uh, you know, and it looked like Jerry wasn't going to get the ring, but he got the ring in '72, you know, and uh, the famous picture of him riding off the forum floor, and uh, you know, the first guy to grab a hold of him was Pat Riley, <laughs> you know, who got his ring, you know, as a player. So, yeah, so to answer your question, Vinny, I just think it was a matter of not being on a championship team and kind of getting, honestly, just overlooked all this all this time. But if you look at scoring records, his name is all over the record books. When you look at, uh, you, know, uh, you know, points per game and points in the playoffs, he's all over the Lakers uh, record books with those other names that we mentioned. So it seems kind of weird. That he get, he does get overlooked, and you hate to say that about an all-time great, but I just think that's just the way it, unfortunately, has worked until now. I mean, it was very much deserved that he got yeah. his statue. Yeah, it, yeah. it is very and much. The, I'm sorry, the, the picture, the article I saw in the Undefeated about it, and like I said, I know y'all shocked I'm talking so much Lakers, but it was, it was Magic, <laughs> Kareem, Shaq, uh, I think Jerry West was there, uh, and and from a Laker royalty standpoint alone, TB that picture. I don't know if you saw it or not. That picture is insane. And then you throw in Bill Withers. Bill Withers was there, and I mean that just <laughs> took it to a whole other level. That picture is amazing. And and see you well, you, you got put- your dig in that they didn't make the playoffs this year. But as everyone knows, I mean, yeah. there was a stretch where they reached half of the finals that had ever been played up until a couple of years ago. It's a little bit less than half now, but half. Like, not talking about just making the playoffs, they reached half of the NBA finals. That's bizarre. Yeah, and I think I – mean, Yeah, and I, I mean, that's, yeah, that's amazing because if, if, if you go back to the 80s, I think there were only two years where they didn't make the finals. I think the Rockets got them in 81 and 86, but every other year, it was Lakers, 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 whether it was the Sixers or whether it was the Celtics, whether it was the Bulls or whether it was the Pistons. They were in, I think, nine, I think nine out of 11 years, they made the finals. And, and that, and, and 80s NBA was just phenomenal. I mean, the teams were deep with star power, and it was just, it was just unbelievable. I mean, you had, you had, Phoenix teams, Seattle teams, you had uh, Mavericks teams, uh, you had just just the, the plethora of power teams in the West. 
uh, Rockets, of course, with the Twins, you know, with uh, Samson and uh, Samson and Elijah. They were, they were, that was the only team that – well, first of all, I think it was the 81 team that had Moses Malone, and they knocked the <laughs> Lakers out. And then, was, and then Moses got his Moses got a, a revenge two years later with the with the full 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 of Sixers, you know, and uh, <laughs> and they just dominated. And then this the '86 team was the uh, Akeem Sampson uh, Twin Towers. But uh, all the other years it was Lakers all the way from '80 to '90. They made the finals. So, how did you? Um... Like, what part of Kentucky are you from, or are you from Kentucky, and, and how did you end up in California? Well, actually, I am from California. Born and raised here, but oh, okay. Uh, oh, okay. I was really not a, uh, I was really not a big, the, 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 you know, growing up, the big thing was UCLA. You know, UCLA was the team. They were in that run where they were winning titles, and and but I, you know, friends of mine kind of push it through that they're the greatest team ever, and I really didn't take a liking to them. You know, I mean, I respected them, and I respect the program, but everybody was a UCLA fan. So, after that, I said, you know, I started watching basketball, and I really liked, I started following the Wildcats and the 75 year when they beat Indiana. The the Indiana team that supposedly, people say, was better than the 76 team that went undefeated. And uh, they ended up playing in the Final Four that year. Down in San Diego, and I was visiting my aunt and uncle down there, and uh, it was Sunday in between the finals and the uh, and the semifinals, and just bumping around town, saw the team come out of the hotel that they were staying at, and I was like, wow, I just, you know, it's, it's one of those things where back when you see something, when you saw something back on television in the 70s, you know, I mean, it was like to see something on television and then see it in real life as a, you know, as a 10-year-old, I was on the verge of being 10, was just kind of awe-inspiring. And just seeing the team there, I was like, wow, I kind of took to them. And and then I just kept following them. And then, you know, I played basketball, schoolyard, you know, and a uh, short guy, you know, not a lot of skill, but, you know, kind of, kind of play guard, <laughs> stuff like that. They got uh, Kyle Macy from, from Purdue. And I just followed that team and that 77, 78 team and, Fell in love with Kyle Macy, and I'll swear to this to the end of my time, my greatest Kentucky player of all time. I, I took I took Blue Magic Marker to T-shirts and would write the name and write the four on the front of it, and you know practice my free throw shooting, and that was that was my guy, and he's still my guy. And it was ironic to know that my birthday was Monday, his birthday is April 9th also, and it's kind of you know, but but ever since then it's always. It's been a love I've had of the Wildcats and, uh, you know, and just following them. And, you know, it's just you, you see it and then you feel it. You feel the draw and you feel the the fever and the energy. It's, no, it's like no other fan. It really isn't. When I was able to get out there the last couple of years and attend my first game, and it was just it, it's it's all that. And I had a, I had a friend of mine who went to uh, – he went to – uh, seminary school, I think at Asbury, and he ended up being okay. after the church he went to, and he told me he does. You know, when we first met, we started playing uh, church league ball. You know, he said, "Wow, he goes, you really like Kentucky?" I said, "I love him." I said, "You got to go." I said, "I went with, you know, I went as a, as a student there, and I was able to go to a few games, and it's like nothing you'll ever see it again in your life." And it was all that. <laughs> 
That now, is, my question too. Yeah, absolutely. I gotta ask you. You're talking with Edward Perez, big blue fan from the left coast. Gotta ask you, being a, a native Californian and a fan of all the teams out there, what was it like for you in 2000 when the Angels won the World Series? Unbelievable! It was like it was like something you you know you you go through, you know, watching them as a kid, you know, watching them play and and just. You know they made they made the playoffs several times. They they got to the verge of being in the World Series in '86. Lost a killer game to the Red Sox, and, and where they were at home in the fifth game, ready to clinch it. And you think, man, it may never happen, but 2002 is absolutely crazy. And it was it's it's that feeling when you first when your when your team wins its first. It's like it's it's so special, and uh, you know. It's, it was a dream come true, and, and literally to say the fun thing, and uh, I got to pull this out, I got to pull this out and put it on Twitter. But you know, they won it. World Series happens in in October, and uh, come Christmas, and decided we did the Christmas picture, and we all took pictures with our World Series, our red World Series champion shirts, and you know, all, all four of us, my kids, my wife, and I, and that was the Christmas picture. Once they won the World Series, and we got the shirts, we said. That's the Christmas picture. <laughs> All of us in our shirts. So I got to find that. Until, I'll put it up. Absolutely, because up until that point, you had the Angels in the outfield, and that was pretty much what most people <laughs> knew about the Angels. Or you know, Reggie Jackson going to kill uh, the Queen in uh, the Naked Gun movie. <laughs> so it was you know. So I can imagine you know that your team being known for that kind of movie stuff, but to actually you know with it was a it was a great World Series too. Even as a as a bystander, it was a really great World Series because Bonds and Jeff Kent for the Giants were really really good. Bonds was outstanding in that series, if I recall correctly. Yes, yeah. he was hitting the ball and just he he was just crushing the ball and uh, you know and he hit one uh, game two that I think is still marked as the, as the longest homer ever hit. In Angel Stadium history, I mean, he just he he leveled it, and it was just unbelievable how far it went. But he he was playing. I think I, he played great. He played great. I think I remember when he hit that one. I think it was Troy Gloss that was playing first base, or and, and you could read his lips, and he said, "I've never seen a ball hit that far before." And <laughs> and then you had uh, you also had. Dusty Baker's kid having to get was it J.T. Snow that had to save his life from getting trampled at home plate? Yeah, yeah. when he was like three years old. Yeah, I think that was the fifth game in the, in San Francisco where the uh, where the Giants won. And yeah, J.T. Snow had to yank you know, yank, yank the young boy out of there before harm yeah before harm fell. So. Absolutely. To, to transition back, Ed, and thanks again for coming on, uh, This the Kentucky basketball team, where are you with the, the new recruits? How did you feel about this past season? What are your kind of thoughts on the state of the program? Do you want to fire Coach Cal, or, or where are you? <laughs> Absolutely not. Absolutely not. I mean, a few of us have this, uh, 
little hashtag of Cal we trust, you know, and, and often I sit there and say, I never worry about recruiting because I know Cal's, you know, he's he's playing chess and other people are playing checkers. And we saw that this week when, you know, Monday, Tuesday, woke up two five-star guards in, you know, and I was like, you know, I, I'd never really worry, you know. It's it's always part of the it's always part of the year, you know. There's people who will go one and done. There are people who stay, you know, and he always just seems to reload. And it was ironic that last year was the uh, at, at the beginning of April was when he came out to our neck of the woods and got Jamal Baker out of uh, Roosevelt High School up here in Eastvale. And uh, my son works there as a uh, special education aide, and he he remembered telling me that Friday afternoon. He goes. Yeah, there was a uh, group of gentlemen walking around campus, you know, and uh, couldn't see Cal. I guess they had him pretty tied up between the AD and the basketball coach, but he he did notice. He said, yeah, I saw a tall gentleman there and uh, kind of described it. I said, yeah, it's Kenny Payne, you know. So, And yeah. that's when they came out and they got Jamal Baker. And, uh, you know, he had a red shirt this year with, uh, with a knee injury, but he's going to come back and he's going to be a shooter. And they got uh, – quite a great recruiting crop and I think that you know I think that this year I think the team's going to mesh a little earlier than last year's team because um, they still are going to have some of the team players uh, from last year in so they know the system uh, a little concerned I heard some news about Gabriel that he's maybe thinking about leaving uh, but that's still up in the air but if he stays you know he's a guy who's been through the system and you know I guess, I guess he'll be a senior I think this coming year, if he stays on the team, or junior or senior, junior, but just, I think this just team, junior, yeah. yeah. But I think I think this team is gonna uh, blossom, and you know, and, and especially I think it was in the pre uh, the, the uh, high school game a couple weeks ago. Uh, one of the one of the players went up against another Duke prospect one on one, and he took him for thirty two and had some, had some defensive swagger. And I think that's where the team's gonna really evolve this year. Is I think they're gonna have a lot of defensive swagger and really get after it. There's going to be some defensive guys on that team that are going to really bear down and, and play real emotional, play like, you know, be real attack dogs on that. And I, I really like that. And I think the, the returning players are going to feel good with another year under the belt. And uh, I think I think this team might mesh quicker. And, uh, you know, I, I can see us maybe not losing as many games. You know, it's, the SEC is going to be tough again this year. I mean, Tennessee is bringing everybody back. Auburn's already picked. I've seen them picked in the top ten, top fifteen of those early, too early to, too early to predict polls of 2018. You know the SEC is going to have another great year, another solid deep year, and uh, well, I think the Cats will do really well coming into this year. And the recruiting class is tremendous. We're going to have uh, real outside shooting threats. You know, Hero from Wisconsin is, you know, he he's, he's showing that he can shoot. But he's showing in some of these practice yeah. games. He throws the hole too, you know. So yeah, yeah he can he can put the ball on the deck absolutely. Yes. Yeah. He's more than just a catch and shoot guy for sure. He can he's got some versatility to his game. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um. Well, we touched on. The Chargers, the Angels, the Kings, Kentucky, the Lakers. Uh, oh, <laughs> one more thing on the Lakers, too, since both of y'all are on the line. 
Andre Ingram's making his NBA debut, 32 years old, flecks of gray in his hair, gets the call, <laughs> Magic Johnson, Luke Walton are there. They say we could really use your shooting. He gets signed on for the final two games of the season. Comes it off the bench last night against my Rockets. Hits his first three. I'm like, okay, that's fine. Hits his second three. And, look, Houston's not playing for anything, but at this point I'm like, look, Andre, calm down. It's, it's a great story, but you get a little, a little too hot for my liking because the Lakers gave the Rockets, uh, you know, a tough game last night. Uh, but that, how good of a story is that? A, a career G-leaguer, D-leaguer slash G-leaguer, uh, finally gets his shot, 10 years. The all-time leading three-point shot maker in G-league history, and he steps up in Staples and puts on the show. Never quit on your dreams. Simple as that. Never quit on your dreams. He proved it last night. You know, he kept working G-League, you know, riding buses and stuff like that, D-League. He got the call. He made it, and it's a great story. It's a great testament to perseverance. Keep pursuing your dream. He got, you know, he's playing tonight, too. It's a great story. Uh, absolutely. I mean, how can you – I mean, it's a sports movie. I mean, it really is. It's one of those things you could pitch that, pitch that to Disney – and and you say no, that there's no way. But I, I think for him to do that, and for the Lakers organization, you know, we've talked about all the great players and everything like that. It, it's got to mean something. You get your shot. You're in the Staples Center. You know, you come out. You look up, like Ed said earlier. You look at all of the <laughs> retired jerseys and all that kind of stuff. I mean, that all the championship how banners. special is it? Yeah, all the championship yeah. banners. Uh, no thanks to the Clippers, but to everybody else that calls Staples home. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, it's a, it, it, it's, a, it's a great story. How can, how can you not – I know. I, I, I get that dig in there because you know, I think we talked about this uh, when, when the Clippers with Chris Paul kind of had that great little run and, you know, somebody had said that it was going to be a Clippers town. And I said, wait a minute. Wait a minute, man. The Clippers haven't put anything up on the Raptors. You know, did they ever put up that like uh, they had the division banner? Did they ever put it up officially? I know they talked about it, but did that ever go? I mean, I don't know because every time I go there, I, I see no remnant of Clipper. All I see is you know all Laker stuff from the players and the championships to the. To the microphone for Chick Hearn, you know, the other side's got all the L.A. King stuff, <laughs> Stanley Cup banners, and, you know, and they, they even have, of all ironic things, a, uh, a banner for Taylor Swift for the most uh, sold-out shows at Staples Center. I guess I guess maybe oh, Madison wow. Square Garden might have one for Billy Joel, you know. <laughs> but, but, no, that place is, really it's, it's like through and through. I, I need to go out to Staples. I've, I've, as a youngster, I was able to go out to the Great Western Forum. That's where I, where I fell in love with Showtime and the Lakers. My dad took me to a game when I was about ten years old, and so I, I need to get out to Staples just to just to take it all in. Yeah, it's it's great to take it all in. You know, 
I kind of I like the forum more because more intimate. Everybody was there, and that place could really rock, you know. And uh, it's kind of a thing that I feel a lot towards these new stadiums and new arenas and stuff like that. You know, you build a big place with with, uh, with luxury boxes and things like that. You lose a little of that edge. I mean, I think I think of the Boston, you know, the, the TD Garden that used to be the Boston Garden, and it's you know, it it's nice. They still have all the banners and stuff like that, but it just doesn't have that ring of the old Boston Garden as you know, Staples Center. <laughs> it has its memories and things like that. You know, they have won titles there, but you know that the forum was just. It was electric, yeah. Good stuff, y'all. Good stuff. And we can't thank you enough for coming in on Pacific time and hitting all these <laughs> wide-ranging topics with us on a Wednesday evening. Definitely appreciate the knowledge about Shohei and the the mania that uh, he has created out there. Uh, enjoy it. It was great to see y'all at the game having fun and appreciate you coming on and and dropping all that knowledge and enlightening us on everything that's going on out there, man. Well, I really appreciate the time. I'm honored to be with you, Benny, and you, Terry. And, uh, you know, we'll, we'll be on the Twitter world. And uh, all I can say in party is go Halos. Go Big Blue. Go Lakers. Hey. Hey, take care. You too, Ed. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Thank you, guys. Good evening. Edward Perez from the West Coast TV, and you had already met him, which is amazing, in the flesh before he comes on, and then we get to talk to him and, Definitely have to have him on again. Uh, you know, despite the fact that he's a Lakers fan, he can't help it. He grew up out there. But uh, it was fun talking Lakers with y'all. Chargers, Angels, the Shohei kid, you know, <clears throat> pulling for him to keep it going. You know, people cynically saying, well, you know, once you, know, you get a book on him, you know how to pitch him. And definitely there'll be some chess games going on. There'll be some, well, okay, we can get this in. We can jam it. We can do this. He's susceptible to the breaking ball down and away, whatever. So he'll have to prove that he can adjust to all that. Um, You know, hitters, you know, well, they haven't seen this stuff before. That's true. And, you know, he hasn't seen them yet either. So it's going to be a lot of cat and mouse going on. Got the language barrier. He's very young, kind of like Yao Ming, got the weight of the Far East and the West on his shoulders. Uh, but it'll be interesting to see how he handles it. And if nothing else, he has been a shot in both arms to the Angels franchise because, you know, like I mentioned, it's been 18 years since they won that World Series. That sounds crazy because you and I were grown men watching it but that World Series trophy is is legal now. It's 18 years old. Almost. It was 02, right? 02? Oh, was it? Was it 02? Maybe yeah, it was. It was, it was, yeah, it was, it was 02, yeah. but, 
No, I mean, it, I understand what you're saying. I mean, I was too. I was, right. I was good and full grown then. So, uh, yeah. he's a great guy, and it's one of those things. Uh, you know, going out to, to to Boise like I did, and meeting a lot of Kentucky fans from the West Coast. You know, there are folks that have come up from L.A. and people in Las Vegas. Look, a lot of college fan bases will talk about this is such and such nation. We, you know, but when we say Big Blue Nation, when we say Big Blue Nation, we mean it's a nation. I know that Kentucky fans, you know, I, I've traveled, you know, really driven around this great country. But just travel places, wear a Kentucky shirt, and you're going to run into another fan. A friend of mine went to Africa, went on a safari, and ran into another Kentucky fan. It's worldwide. It's ridiculous. You know, just just traveling around, you run into another Kentucky fan who's got a story like Edwards. Maybe they're not from Kentucky, but that doesn't mean they're any less of a fan than someone who um, – you know, was born and raised a Kentucky fan, went to UK and all that, you can still be a fan. You know, I tell yeah. people all the time, you know, I wasn't I wasn't born a Kentucky fan. You know, I, I went all the way through high school as a U of L fan. But I saw the air of my ways and I changed my life around. But that's everybody's got a, a, a story, uh, you know, like 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 Ed's just saying, you know, running into that seventy five team, you know, outside of the hotel. You know, uh, everybody's got that moment of their fandom. And most of the times, it may not even be a game. It may just be just a moment where you're like, I'm all in on the big blue. So uh, definitely glad to have uh, Edward on talking about things on the West Coast. Uh, Just fantastic. Fantastic. Yeah, absolutely. And the 2000 World Series was Subway Series, Yankees versus Mets. So I apologize for that. And it was a very forgettable series because the Yankees, I think, swept or, I mean, it wasn't even competitive at all. So my apologies. I was off <clears throat> with my stats and off with my my years. So, uh, yeah, Yankees met in 2000. Angels, Giants, no-cow, so-cow in 2002. Real quick, looking back, we don't talk a lot of golf. But we had the Masters, you know, Jim Nance leaves the Final Four, goes straight to Augusta, tradition unlike any other. I mean, what jumped out at you? And also what was crazier to you, Tony Finau dislocating his ankle in the Part 3 contest the day before the event started, then turning around and shooting the 68 on the first day, on Thursday, or defending champ Sergio Garcia firing off a 13 with five consecutive balls going into the water, which, you know, I can do that. Which shot you more? (laughs) Finau's injury and great first round or seeing the defending champ put down a 13 on his scorecard in the Masters? Uh, I'm going to take a page out of the part of the interruption, guys. I'm going to go with a push because, you know, <laughs> as, as, far as, the, as far as the injury, you know, the joke has always been our golfers really athletes. 
but that was a pretty remarkable physical feat that you just, you know, you, you get your ankle together and you come back and play. But Sergio, I mean, that was just a a disaster. And it's one of those things we, we talk about, you know, everybody remembers kind of the great plays in, in, uh, in sports, but this is one of those where it's like Nick Anderson's free throws in the 95 finals where fan or not, your heart goes out to the guy, right? He just, you know, misses the free, you just, you just, you just want to go give the person a hug. And that's kind of how it was with Sergio because it's like, how do you stop the bleeding? How do you, how do you recover from that? And I don't, and with golf being a, a more mental, I don't, it's obviously you can't really rebound from that. So those are, it's, it's a push on, on both of those for me. And Tony Finnell is an athletic dude. I mean, this dude can dunk a basketball and, you know, kind of the new age golfer in shape, more so in the gym. You know, Tiger kind of started that. Not one of the pudgier type guys. He he is athletic. Uh, so maybe if he just celebrated that hole in one without moving. Or the action, the turning around and backpedaling is what got him. But, I mean, he didn't know he was going to do that in the process of being exuberant. I mean, hole in ones get everybody excited. You know, I get a hold of one on the putt put course. I'm happy. So you know, he's, he's no different. It's 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 a human emotion. When you ace a hole, there's gonna be uh, excitement. Uh, and he just happened to have one of those unfortunate, you know, Bill Grammatica kind of moments, and that followed it. Um, but Patrick Reed was the winner. I didn't even know who he was before that. And he is one of the pleasure kind of guys, like you used to see before guys kind of started getting in shape. But he was able to hold off Rory McIlroy and Ricky Fowler, um, all the young guns. Jordan Spieth finished 15 under. Um, not a lot of people are really <laughs> friends with him, but he couldn't care less. He has a green jacket, and he went out there and did what he had to do to finish and handle business on Sunday. Yeah, it, it's also a reminder of of what Tiger Woods means to golf. When you just look at the numbers of the 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 numbers the the ratings of just when he's playing. You know, people kind of gripe that, you know, uh during the broadcast CBS showing a lot of his a, a lot of Tiger. Tiger still moves the needle. Like he's still, and, and it, it's hard because, you know, we're old now. But, you know, when Tiger first won the Masters in 97, it's hard for, you know, people younger than us to remember what golf used to be. It used to be pudgy guys. It used to be not as diverse. And it was just, golf was just one of those things that, you know, uh, it was on TV because you forgot to change the channel when you were watching, you know, the NFL or something. Uh, it just golf just didn't move the needle. Uh, the majors would get coverage on uh, on ESPN Sports Center, but not like not like it does now. And was it Fox that had you know the most influential uh, sports figures 
of last whatever. I can't really keep up with all these countdowns. I mean, you have to put Tiger up there. I mean, he, he totally changed golf. And, and you got to put him up there for what he means and what he still means. You know, he hasn't won a major in, what, 10 years, 12 years, whatever it is. But he still yeah. got more victory. You know, no one has come close. You know, all his contemporaries have kind of, you know, gotten older and fallen by the wayside. But these new guys yeah. have, aren't, haven't come close to what he was able to do, which just, you know, which lets you know just how spectacularly great he was. I, I know he's not going to get his, his majors record, but, but Tiger was, was golf for a long time, and you can still see the remnants of that even though he's not his, his old self. Absolutely. So, man, we we just wedged a ton into this show, starting with recruiting, um, spring game, UK football with Van Howe. Spring game is Friday, under the lights at Kroger Field, 630. Uh, looking forward to running up there and taking that in. The 98 team is in town, Tubby Smith included. Everybody that goes out to get the Maker's Mark bottles or whatever else they bring to get signed, that's going to be a lot of fun with the different stops. Uh, but they're going to be out in and around Lexington. Uh, Ed Perez comes on and talks Angels, Chargers, Kings, Lakers. Got us caught up all in all things. Shohei Atani, he was at the game Sunday. Uh, which was just, I mean, that's cool. To be out there <clears throat> when something like that is just launching. Uh, and, look, I, the 30 for 30 on Fernando Valdeueva is awesome to see. I mean, I was four years old his rookie year in 81. Not a Dodgers fan. Didn't really, you know, keep up. But grew up and knew who he was and, you know, saw him you know, coming back later in his years past his prime and things of that nature. But to still go back and watch that 30 for 30, to see what he did, how he captivated L.A. was unreal. And he compared to that. Ed compared Shohei Atani to Fernando. So that's, you know, 37 years later, we see something similar happening in Southern California. So that is cool. I also talked Kentucky basketball with Ed, the Roster transition, uh, the strong week Cal had in recruiting, letting everybody know, you know, he's not slipping, he's not going anywhere, and he still might have something else up his sleeve. So, so many fun things to talk about. NBA playoffs start Saturday. Carl Anthony Towns, Jamal Murray play tonight to see who gets that final Western Conference uh, playoff spot. We had a few um, votes on the Twitter poll. The Timberwolves are at home. Most people seem to think that Cat and the Timberwolves are going to get the better of Murray and the Nuggets. Uh, it's going to be fun to see one of them make the playoffs for the first time. Yeah, and the thing about the – the Timberwolves, uh, Coach Thibodeau, uh, how do you, you look at that roster? How are they fighting for a playoff spot? Like, how is that? Like, 
you look at Ooh. what the Timberwolves have, and you, they should be in comfortably. And then when you look at the Nuggets, outside of Trey Lyles and Jamal Murray, I couldn't name another Nugget. Alex English? I mean, I don't know. You know, Dikembe Mutombo? <laughs> I don't <laughs> you know, Mahmoud Abu Raouf. I don't know. Rodney Rogers look at me going way back. So, <laughs> so honestly, you know, my my thing is what are you doing? What are the Timberwolves doing? I know Butler was hurt for a little while, but Wiggins and Cat should be enough. Well, I I've watched a lot of Timberwolves games and this is my frustration because I'm a Kentucky guy, obviously. But when you look at the Pelicans, the Pelicans got really good this year after Boogie went down, and they made a concerted effort to run the offense through Anthony Davis. When the guards and the wings stopped dancing around, stopped whatever, they got in the ball. And you look at the numbers that Davis has put up since Cousins went out, you know, 30-plus points a game. I mean, just putting up ridiculous historical numbers, right? I watch a lot of Timberwolves. Yeah. I won't say a lot, but I watch some Timberwolves games, and they go stretches where, where Towns is just – they don't go to him at all. And it's ridiculous because he can shoot, he can pass, you know, he can got – like, how is he not getting the touches? And uh, I need to find the stats, you know, these metrics that they go through. His usage rate is ridiculously low. Like, yeah, he's putting up – Big numbers as well. He had, what, 56 points the other night. But he's still not yeah. getting the usage rate as other big-time guys are. And Cal's a, a cow. Cat is a big-time talent. He's got to get the superstar touches. Like, I know there's Wiggins. I know there's Butler. But Cat's got to be the guy. And I'm not just saying that because I'm a Kentucky hey. guy. But I'm just watching. He's got to be the guy. Yeah. And... Uh, like you mentioned, Butler was out seventeen games, but like you said, you got you got Wiggins and you got Cat. Um, the thing about it, you know, I wrote a piece about this on CameronMissRadio.com, you know, because it's come down to this this one last game for Minnesota and Denver. Minnesota down the stretch in their last ten were six and four. Uh, Denver was eight and two, so you know they they chased them down and tied them going into the last game. One of those four losses for Minnesota in these last four was to Memphis, who is who at one point lost twenty three in a row. You know, well, lost twenty three out of twenty four. So okay, that happens. Stuff happens. It's a long season. <laughs> you look at the season series, though, <laughs> Minnesota is one and two against Memphis. Now, they have any one of those two losses go their way, and we're not having this conversation about them having to play Denver for winning your end playoff, pre, pre-playoff game. But that's not the case. You know, they can look back at all kinds of things, but you lost twice to the Grizzlies in three games, and – you know, now you got to play for your life tonight. You're at home, but you got to play for your life tonight. Yeah. It, it, it just it's unfathomable until, I guess, Monday when all the playoff picture came into fruition here. 
I'd always assumed that Minnesota was comfortably in. Like, I, I knew they were, like, I thought they were at the four or five level. I think the last time I really paid attention to the standings. But just eat gas. That's bad. That, that's, and they got a lot of head-scratching losses throughout the season. So you would just think, based on their personnel, why are they kind of scratching in? Now, on the flip side, Denver, this is the kind of thing that, you know, Jamal Murray might be one of the better guards to come through Kentucky under Cal. I mean, you forget his rookie year, he played with a sports hernia, and this year he's straight balling out. So we've talked about it before on this show. You know, next year, the year after, the All-Star game is going to have a decidedly blue tint to it. When you look at what Booker is doing, Murray is doing, and Cat and Boogie and uh, Towns, and if Randall can, can, can put it all together, I mean, it, it's going gonna, it's gonna to look an awful lot like a Kentucky reunion. Absolutely. And going into tonight, you look at Jamal Murray, the last game out they played Portland, they won, but they were ice cold from the field. Murray only had 12 points, which was, you know, uh, an off night for him. We've seen him especially, you know, second half. He turned it on, and he's having some breakout games. It was starting to dunk all over the Sixers for that baptism that we talked about last week. Uh, so, <laughs> You know he's looking to bounce back. You know, you, you, they won 88-82. They only had 12 points and, and didn't really shoot that well. So he's looking, you know, biggest stage of his pro career, playoff spot on the line. You know he's looking to dial it back in. And, and if he heats up, um, you know, Minnesota has kind of been prone to be, like you said, not using offensively challenged. Maybe it's their own fault for not going to cat enough. You got Butler back, but if you, you let Murray get off on you tonight, Denver could walk out of there with that last spot. I think Minnesota will, will take it at home tonight, but this is an evenly matched matchup. And also, don't forget. And don't forget about Trey Lyle, who uh, yeah. he, just needs, he just needs the consistent minutes. You look at his, his stat mm-hmm. line, and you don't even have to be an analytics guy or gal. Uh, when he gets the minutes, he's very, very productive. And I, I hate to say this, but Trey Lyles is the one guy that Cal's had that's in the NBA I forget about. Like, you know, I'll just mm-hmm. you know, catch highlights. I'm like, oh, yeah, Trey Lyles did go to – you know, I just – I forget about it, you know. Uh, but but he's, he can he can bring – uh, if he gets going, he can be that X factor today. So definitely want to watch that. Uh, like I said earlier, uh, Anthony Davis and the Pelicans getting into the playoffs post boogie. You know they were yeah. Uh, yeah. kind of in the top half of the playoff with boogie, but for Anthony Davis, he, he's got to merit a, a little bit of discussion for uh, MVP. I think it's hardened uh, to win. Um, and rightfully so, uh, but you got to put you got to put Anthony Davis up there, uh, you know, getting getting his team into the playoffs. And if they win a, a series, wow! I mean, that's going to be huge for them. You know, you get you get Boogie back. 
and you kind of like, you really like what they're doing down there in New Orleans. Definitely. So we'll definitely be talking a lot of playoffs going forward once they get started this weekend. Um, got two cats going at it, and Trey Lyons, like you said, but uh, and one of the people that read the article I mentioned that, you know, got Murray and Trey Lyles going up against Cat. And you do, but I just took that, you know, star power angle for both of the guys who've been there and started their careers with their respective teams, Cat in Minnesota, Jamal in Denver, and that's why I just wrote it kind of the mono a mono deal. But definitely, you know, Trey Lyles is in the mix, uh and, and, and fighting for some minutes since getting traded there from Utah. Uh, so he'll probably he'll play a role uh, if, when he's out there on the floor tonight as well and factor in to the outcome of his game. Absolutely, absolutely. Man, this was a ton of fun. Looking forward to it again next week. Thank you, as always, and all the pieces you got on Cameron Radio. I put up on put, – I think the most recent one up on our Facebook page as well and shared it in a couple of different Facebook groups, uh, a lot of all kinds of UK groups and stuff out there. But uh, people were saying, this is an excellent article. So you were getting all kinds of compliments. I'm like, man, TV is always writing good stuff. <laughs> so uh, I was talking you up what, on what? one of them groups to a commenter that, that read your article, man. Well, I, I appreciate that. I'm still working and piecing together my tales of the, the road trip. Uh, <laughs> of, of, uh, so that should be coming out soon. I want to make sure I got everything like that. But the, the funny thing is, real quick, so Sean Smith, who I rode with out there, the boys, he was, you know, we, we were butching Sundays out west. Uh, you know, Kentucky, they announced that there's talks for, for UK to play, I believe it's Seton Hall in in some sort of, you know, in New York. And he sends me a, 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 a he adds me on Twitter and says, road trip. And, <laughs> and my thing is, why not? Absolutely. Not. <laughs> I mean, we, we've gone west. We might as well go east and, and everything. Yeah. So, yeah, why not? Absolutely. So, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll all be on the lookout for that. And. Look forward to hearing you on radio stations up and down the East Coast, Philly, <laughs> New York, Jersey, Virginia, Pennsylvania, all the way up through there. So that that will be fun as well. <laughs> <laughs> but, man, great show. Thanks to our guests. Just another great show. Uh, well done. Well done. Absolutely. Definitely appreciate Van House and Perez. Appreciate you as always, and we'll be back next Wednesday, man. Playoffs, look back at the spring game. Whatever else happens with the roster transition for Kentucky. Um, and speaking of Kentucky baseball, last time I saw was up 7-5 to five on Western Carolina. Then they go to Georgia on the road. They're kind of digging themselves out of that early hole. Took two out of three from South Carolina. Definitely hope they can win the series against Georgia and continue to to climb back in the SEC. Work their way to middle of the pack. Um, Georgia is good as well, so uh, you get a series win there. 
that just enhances your resume after you've already beat Louisville, already taken the series from Auburn, um, taking the series from Texas Tech, and other ranked teams that they've beaten. So they go out there and take care of business against Georgia. That will continue to just, you know, be feathers in Coach Mingeon's cap. So we hope they close out these catamounts tonight and then go to Athens and have a good weekend down there as well. Absolutely. For my man Terry T.B. Brown, Van House, Ed Perez, enjoyed this show. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Had a wonderful time. We'll see you all next week. Cat Talk Wednesday, Brandon Hardy Radio Network, blogtalkradio.com. See you all next Wednesday, everybody. Appreciate the TV. Thank you, Benny.